0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Oh my goodness, you guys. I am so excited because upon recording on today's date, which is Wednesday, November 27th, folks, It is officially season three of the Animals to the Max podcast. Okay, sorry guys. I know that was a little too much and I probably screamed in your ears, but I'll tell you what, I just... Cannot believe that we're entering season three and I started this show two years ago it debuted and you know what I have to fully give my wife credit for you know mentioning that hey you know why don't you do a podcast and I was like wait what like I've never even listened to a podcast like what you know what's going on and it has turned into probably one of the best decisions uh, career wise I've ever made because I have been able to talk to wildlife professionals and all different aspects of, you know, of the animal care field just from all around the world. And it's been so cool to connect and hear their stories and to be able to share them with you just to find out that people all around the world are listening to the show. It just blows me away. And I, as always, I am so thankful for every single one of you who tune into the show. And I'm just a person who loves to talk animals and who loves to just connect with people and, and I and just hear their stories, their backstories. I'm really into that. I'm into the stories and like, how did you get to where you know where you are, where you know you're you know landing your dream career, working with animals. And so I uh, yeah, that's why I do the show, and I absolutely love it. I'll tell you what, I have just had such a great conversation with today's guest. As a matter of fact, we talked so long that we're going to be doing a two. Part episode and he is I'm just going to say it probably one of my favorite guests I've ever had on the show. I rarely say that because I love all my guests but this guy is so cool and we connected and we talked and it was so awesome. So on today's show we have Animal Planet's large predator expert Dave Salmoni. That name probably sounds really familiar. He's a TV host. He has had like I want to say like 30 or 40 uh, maybe that's you know exaggeration but 30 or 40 Animal Planet shows. You've seen him on Nat Geo, The Discovery channel. He does multiple shows, and you know, including Jimmy Kimmel. He does a Today show, Good Morning America. He just does all this press. And I've always wanted to talk to Dave. Back when I got my start on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno at 14 years old, Dave actually started appearing on the Tonight Show as their expert. And it's really crazy. Our you know, our paths have kind of crossed, you know, working with the same people. And it's awesome being able to just connect with someone because you know, we kind of work in a kind of an odd field, you know, working with animals. Animals in the media. There's not a lot of us out there. So as always, it's kind of good to connect. During this first part interview, we just get into it. We touch base about his early childhood, but then we really talk about some controversial topics, including trophy hunting, the ethics of hunting. We talk about you know being a vegetarian. We talk about working with animals on TV. We talk about people who are against it, people who are for it. And I had such a good time. And we just It was awesome. And like I said, we normally don't go over an hour. Usually I cut the interviews off at an hour, but it was like we were at an hour and, you know, Dave's like, hey, sorry I have to go, but do you mind if, you know, can we finish this up? And I'm like, "Uh, of course we can. So we scheduled uh, another interview, which is awesome. We've never done that with a guest. So anyway, I know you guys are going to love it. Like I said, share this with anyone who's ever wanted to work with animals, you know, especially like someone who's really wanted to work with big cats. Dave has a lot of experience working with lions and tigers. Tigers and some of his stories are just like they literally give me goosebumps and my mouth was like completely wide open during some of his stories and yeah it's super cool so um, before we get to the interview please make sure as always to subscribe to the show and leave a rating it really helps the show get out there we are currently in the top 100 science podcast on iTunes which is awesome for season three and by leaving a review and a rating it just helps get the show out there and also sharing it just kind of with family and Friends, and if you want more behind-the-scenes look of this episode, make sure, of course, to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Corbin Maxi is the handle, and I'll also provide Dave Salmoni's, uh, you know, social handles as well. I believe his Instagram handle is at the real Dave Salmoni because he's super famous, so he has multiple accounts. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy my interview with Dave Salmoni. Dave Salmoni thank you so much welcome to the show man I'm so excited to officially meet you hey thanks for having me yeah likewise I like meeting any animal lover yeah and I've and we've actually worked with some of the same people and we can kind of get into that you know later but you are just your credentials are just out of this world you're a large predator expert for animal planet tv host producer animal trainer Like, is there anything you can't do? (laughs) I think there's lots. I I think you could ask my wife for the list, but
1: uh, (laughs) I try to ignore most of those things.
0: Yeah. Well, and so, Dave, I mean, you know, and and listeners, you might know, Dave, you do numerous appearances like on TV, you know, uh, Kimmel. You used to do The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. You you do all the morning shows, so you are a familiar face. But I want to just... I just want to get into your backstory and like how this all started. And I started doing research on you and it was actually on Wikipedia. And then I just stopped because I was (laughs) like, I I just, I just want to hear it from the horse's mouth. You know what I mean? I just want to, you
1: can't believe everything you read. I always say when you research online, you're going to get about 75% fact mixed in with about 25% not quite true. Yes, well,
0: uh, but one thing I do know is you are Canadian. I love that boat. I, oh my God, dude, that's awesome. There you go.
1: And <laughs> it, it depends on how much time I've been at home. You can always tell uh, based on what country I'm in as to what slang I'm using. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yes, the backstory is not as exciting as you might think. I think people, especially when I was doing a lot of the real hands-on tiger, lion, whatever, elephant, whatever, the hands-on stuff that I used to do, people expect to be at that level of animal training that you were born into that culture, and that's certainly not the case for me. I I, I grew up small-town Canada. I lived to the end of a cul-de-sac with a hockey stick in my hand like everybody else did growing up. Um, I had parents, you know, an engineer and a figure skating coach. Uh, there was no path when I was born to where I am. It literally just went from an interest to a passion to what I did and I think that on not too different than most of us that have built these careers that are unique to do a unique career you have to have a unique path so in my particular case just kind of born with the animal where did the animal love start who the heck knows you know you're kind kind of born with it you there's no way you could separate me from love of animals if you see any artwork any speech any book report any poster that used to be on my wall there will have been an animal there very likely a big cat okay and so There is no there is no beginning of that, but that kind of went into this young guy who wasn't at first didn't do very well in school, didn't like listening (laughs) to authority, really only wasn't getting in trouble when I was in the bush. I would say some of the most peaceful times in my childhood I can remember were my we had this family cottage that I just spoke to you about uh, earlier. Uh, It was a tiny cabin, one room with a couple beds and whatever. We would spend a lot of our summer there. and my, I can remember my mother just sort of saying, here's your lunch. Get out. You, you can't, you're you too much energy. I had brothers and sisters. I had one brother, one sister. And it was sort of like, you, you, the house, this place is too small. Get out. And I can just remember, you know, I'd spend some of the day. I knew where a beaver dam was. So I'd sit there in hopes of seeing it. You know, I'd go all day, just sit on the dam and just wait for the beaver to come out. And you know, beavers, they don't come out during the day. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. not at that age. So I would just sit there. But I was never getting in trouble. As long as I got home for dinner... You know, and, and if my mom shouted, I could hear her and get to where she was. I wasn't in trouble. And I think that that kind of, you know, really fed the passion
0: because in school, you know, I could sit still for 20 minutes, but 40 minutes a <laughs> whole day. Are you crazy? Oh, you, you know, Dave, you would have hated our school. Our classes were three hours long. We, they did something new at our school where they like thought it would be great to have three hour long classes in like different blocks. It was crazy.
1: And that really works for passive kids. But like <laughs> most animal people aren't that you know if you don't have a ton of energy and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here you're not going to be good at our job you're not going to be very good at managing animals if you think sitting down and doing a puzzle or doing math and English and science that's just not you unless you get to the point where, where I got eventually come university I made some choices to get into university and take zoology and then your passions, you know being developed you know, mm-hmm. you'll sit in class for hours and hours on end if you're talking about wildlife management or mm-hmm. animal behavior or something that you can see is going to get you to that path. Even to that point at that age when I was doing calculus and doing oh. quite well at it, oh. I recognized I didn't need it, but I knew it was to get to the path. I needed – at that point, I could see the path. I'm like, okay, well, I, I want to be a zoologist. I want to have a few doors open that would allow me to have animals in my life. Um, so – At that point i could understand calculus whereas at 10 years old and someone's telling you about fractions you're like go away you bug me this is not what i'm interested in and so i just all of my calmest moments my happiest moments growing up i should say all of them that's an exaggeration i had a wonderful childhood but certainly in developing this career path that's where they lie Um, and then when i graduated from my my first degree i remember just thinking everyone was going everyone who was top of the class in my case they were like, oh, well, you got to go, get your master's, your PhD, and you got to like live within academia. And I could just already tell that academia wasn't for me. Once again, some of those same things, whereas I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like the idea that academics think that they know everything. Uh, they only know everything within their field, and yet they, they will believe that their field expands outwardly. And I already realized it didn't. Uh, I wanted hands-on work with animals. And growing up, regular old kid in a regular old town, the only place I could think of was a zoo. So right at at that point, I had a few contacts at a zoo. Eventually, I found a privately owned zoo. I didn't know anything about being a zookeeper or anything like that. And all of the the bigger zoos kept saying, well, we're going to spend some time and money on getting you trained at becoming a zookeeper and because you're a university graduate your brain is going to start working and you're going to get bored mm-hmm. picking up poop for living as you know is boring eventually <laughs> it's not that much fun you kind of have to love the 10% interaction to put up with the 90% of scooping poop cleaning out water dishes making sure the enclosures are are correct and happy you know, going to the vet, making sure the vet... So, you, know, I'm, as I
0: say, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I literally just cleaned up iguana crap like an hour ago before we just that's hopped disgusting. on Sky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, I became a cat guy. I love doing the cat barn because it's like one big lump of stink and it's gone. <laughs> iguana poop is everywhere. Uh, not for me. Um, so, the private zoo that I went to, I still wasn't sure. I was coming from an academic background. I wasn't so sure about captivity yet, right? Like, I knew that most of my animal friends were like, hey, captivity is awful. Uh, I knew that all, by meeting all these people that were working in captivity, they loved animals. So like the two, you know, the, were convinced that you either you can be on one team or the other team. And then I started meeting all these zookeepers that loved animals, were great at taking care of these animals. And I intellectually needed how to figure out that bridge. And this this private owned zoo, the guy was like, listen, I don't believe in the captivity, the boredom of captivity, the indoor enclosure, outdoor enclosure. I believe that every one of my animals should be offered the opportunity to train. And if you're trained and we can trust you and you follow the rules, you can then come out of your enclosure every day. Mm -hmm. So at this place, you know, whether you be an elephant, tiger, iguana, (laughs) <laughs> Whatever you are, you are trained and have the ability to get out. And, you know, if your favorite thing in the world, so I had tigers whose favorite thing in the world was a swim. Oh. So my job, literally, part of my day's responsibilities would make sure the tiger went for a swim. You know, the lion really liked to roll in, in the, the, the manure pile, the elephant manure. I don't know if yeah. you know that about oh, lions. No, oh, really. Oh, it's, it's like your dog rolling in poop. Oh, Except for lions love all of those smells, all those hormones. So I had a male lion that just loved it. So my job was just to like identify all of the favorite things of all the animals I was responsible for and make sure that they got to do that. So that's where the training all came in. It yeah, was but, like you have to – go ahead.
0: Oh, I just – but hold on. But how long – this is insane. Like, So do you just jump right in at this private zoo and just start working with these animals hands-on? I mean, or is it a gradual process? I wish.
1: I would. There was no intellect in any of my career path. So what happened was – and this is the honest truth. And looking back with the expertise I have now, I would say it's the dumbest thing I ever did. But it turned <laughs> out to be the best thing I ever did. So yeah. yeah. I remember my interview for this zoo. I showed up in a suit. I had my thesis. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I didn't know anything about zookeeping. I was yeah. telling this guy about all the research I could do for him because that's what I thought I was good at. Yeah. And he's, yeah, 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 come. And then he, I arrive, and his first day, he says, Dave, I don't care about your research. If you want to do it, do it on your own time. But you are 220 pounds. You look like you can scoop a lot of poop. This is why I hired you. So get to work. So I went to this barn that was – like, it was all hoofstock, basically. Mm-hmm. I, my first barn was, and like a day one, here's a shovel, go. And I have never been on a farm. I mean, I've, I've never worked on a farm. I didn't know what mucking out a stall was, nothing. I just, he's like, clean the dishes, clean the stalls, put it in a wheelbarrow, and then this is the place. So I'm doing that, and I was probably two weeks in, and the male lion, so we had a lot of well-trained animals. These are all feature film guys. Because okay. they were trained, they were outsourced to feature films, commercials, TV work. You know what wranglers do to try to mm-hmm. make sure they have money so yeah. that the animals have better enclosures. That was our business. So the lion trainer at the time must have been going for a walk with the lion. The lion was a really well-trained lion. He's a lion. That, do you remember Ghost in the Darkness? Yes. Yeah. No. So the lion's there. It was, it was one no. he was Oh, my so
0: God. I'm so starstruck. This
1: big okay, male comes around the corner. And he looks at me. And he's got a big long lead, but there's nothing on the other end of it. No trainer, no nothing. And he's six feet from me and he looks at me. and I look at him and I can tell you, and I'm sure you can relate to this. I had at that point, I was probably 21, 20 maybe. I had my whole life wondered what it would feel like to touch a lion. I wonder what it would smell like to smell a lion. I'd I'd wondered what it was like. You've seen the pictures. My whole life had come to this moment the lion looked happy like a dog. I, I, I was—I like, At that point, my only reference point was dogs. I'm like, I know what a dangerous dog looks like and a non-dangerous dog looks like. And I'm like, this lion looks perfectly happy. I'm going to go pet him. He looks like he wants to be oh, petted, yeah. just the same as the, the tail was going and the yeah. head was low and he looked—he was staring at me. I walked up to him. I started patting me, started rubbing in like a lion does. The trainer came around. He's like, oh, my. What the heck are you doing? You idiot. So he screams at me and he says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen anyone ever do. He says, but clearly this lion likes you. If you want to start coming in on your off time, your weekends and and pre-work and and after work, then you can be my backup while I take the cats for walks. So that's how I started. And immediately the cats really took to me. And then I started being the one who cut the meat and then I would get the things prepped. And then I started holding the leash. And then, you know, I'm sure you know what marks all different behaviors that you would need two people in two positions. Uh I became number two and then number two became number one. And very, very quickly... I was a big cat trainer. So I had never I didn't start with dogs, cats, mice, small things like everybody else. I started with lions and then worked backwards.
0: And a huge Okay, so listeners, if you've never seen Ghosts in the Darkness, please check it out cuz it is oh, those man, are a great m- film.
1: Dude, it's so great. there were six lions in that for all due process. Okay. Six lions were in it, two American lions, two Canadian lions, and two French lions, but there was one that did 80% of the work.
0: Okay. And that
1: was my lion named Bongo. And Bongo was pretty much the in my opinion, was the only one that was safe enough to be around Val Kilmer and and those Michael Douglas uh, because he was such a good male lion. That being said, he also was the closest to killing me of any animal that's ever tried to kill me, and there's been lots of those.
0: Oh, my God. Are you serious? Let's go into that, or or am I jumping ahead? (laughs) We can. (laughs) It's somewhat in this. So uh, oddly, the owner, who is a
1: longtime animal trainer, – Says, you know, the best thing that ever happen to you is for you to get attacked, but just not killed. Because You have to realize at a young age, you don't realize when 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 you're being told, hey, you're, you're working with dangerous animals now. Like you are taking your life in, in your own hands. And yes, of course, you and I both know that passion overwhelms us and we say, fine, we're doing it yeah, yeah. because you're too young to really get. Excuse me. You're too young to really get what that means. Um, so it is. So I understand now in hindsight what he meant. So. I was probably two years into working with this male lion. And if you've ever worked with male lions, they have good days and bad days like any other animal, but a bad day with a big male lion, they like to fight. They're born to fight. A male lion's genetics only get passed down if they're physically strong. It's pretty much one of the only species on the planet that genetic inheritance really only comes from the ability to fight whereas if you're a tiger or you're a leopard or you're an elephant or there's other things that require you're required to be chosen for, for reproduction male lions really only have to win a fight mm-hmm. um so that's what they like to do so on their bad days they fight so you learn how to manage a lion that's charging at you you have to quickly learn that fast forward to i'm doing a show for kids, teaching them all. Like we're at a theme park, basically, and we're teaching the kids about animals. And, and you know, actually, I think I was doing a scene from Ghost of the Darkness where the lion would, used to come out and he would do what we call as a hit. Uh-huh. So he would literally jump at me, hit me on in the chest, stand over top of me, and usually at the end he would lick my face. Like, oh ah, my God. Plunk on you. Wow. And I did that three times a day all summer. And eventually, the lion gets a little bit bored. through You know, three days, like any other animal, once the treats kind of are like, hey, whatever, I, you know, I know I'm getting a treat anyway. Like I don't have to do what you're telling me to do. Um, the lion was passing a red carpet that last, that a pig would roll out for Lassie as a part of the previous part of the show before the big cats came out. Uh-huh. And then one day he just decided, well, I'm going to go pick that carpet up. It smells like pig. It smells like dog. It has treat smells on it. I'm going to chew it. So he gets on it. He starts chewing it. And then uh, if you don't know this about male lions, they get possessive of stuff. It's, a, it's an inherent uh, thing that they have that, pro- that provides them well around a carcass. So if there's 12 lions feeding on a carcass, there's something inherent within a lion that says, this is mine and I'll fight to the death for it. And that's how they get their share. So a, ma- a captive lion still has those instincts. So very often that'll happen and you kind of go through a dance. You kind of go through a little dance that'll get them off of the thing that they're getting possessive over. So very often though, Maybe come across a horse pee. A horse pea's in an area. You clean it up, but the smell's still there. Lion gets on it, starts growling. He, str- he gets in his position where he's coming to try and kill you. Tail's going just like... And a lion doesn't know how to act, so if he's saying he's coming to kill you, he absolutely will kill you if you screw up. You get him off, in theory. You challenge him. He charges you, and then immediately you start feeding him treats. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, these treats are way better than that smell was, and yeah. the smell's back there now. And it goes on. So... This was happening with this carpet. Carpet was in his mouth. I was telling the crowd, this is what I'm about to do. This is the dance. I'm going to touch his bum with his big, long stick so I have a bit of distance from him when he starts to charge me, and I'm going to ram some treats in his mouth. Too young to know, I'm only two years into my business, the difference between this situation and another. Uh, I challenge him a couple times. He keeps the carpet in his mouth, which I hadn't had that situation happen before, so I wasn't able to get those treats in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd never done it on a stage. This is a stage whereas everything we would do, we either be in an open area or an enclosure with a circle. So there's never ever an end. I can continue to always back up and stay out of his way. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, I was on stage, but once again, just too young to understand that level of detail. I got to the end, he smashed my ribs. Oh my God. At that point, I'm still all I know is if I don't get him away from this. I'm in danger, plus I'm in a theme park with 30,000 people with an audience of 6,000 people. Oh. I have a, a barrier, like a, but the barrier is screwed into a wood floor, and I know, as well as anybody else, that lion can pull bolts out of a wood floor. So it's protection, but like I, I don't feel confident just saying, oh, well, let's just leave and hope to heck this lion gets over. Plus, as you know, if an animal eats something that could become a blockage, it'll kill them. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things that I can't just walk away, so I say, well, all I know is what I was taught, and I was taught to do this little dance, poke him in the bum, let him come at you, and then give him treats. So the very next time, he obviously realized that I was short in of, of breath. He noticed I was slower. He knew that my ribs were broken. So he knew I was injured at this point, and he'd never been in that situation before. So the next time, he did leave the carpet behind, but he didn't go through the process where lines will always open their mouth as they lunge for you, but he didn't. He waited until he got right up on me, and he came to tear out my throat oh my god instead of his throat i give him my right arm he bites and then tries to manipulate me to get me on the ground so i square up my feet knowing if i go on the ground i'm gonna die uh so he starts tearing and then my backup hits him luckily so he he gets hit on the head while he's trying to get me on the ground shaking me he he then loses his grip on me because the muscles all tear out of my arm and he goes back to his carpet and we eventually uh, have to work things out in a different way because I now have broken ribs and chewed up forearm. and
0: Oh my, hold on. So is, is Sorry. the audience? Oh, you're fine. So what's going on with the audience? Is every, is it like a panic Are people like, ah, like, are they, I you
1: mean, can go on YouTube and you can hear it yourself. Um, cause it was being filmed uh, by an audience oh member. My God. Um, yeah, they screamed, I think they thought it was part of the show. Cause that's what you do when you, when, when the animals go outside of the script, let's say you just kind of be honest with them. Hey guys, he's mad at me, he wants to kill me, but don't worry. This is something I'm used to. And then once he starts tearing out my arm, I'm like, oh, they could, it was obvious at that point. Once, once the backup had to hit him off me, they're yeah. like, Oh, well, that's obviously not part of the show. Um, and so I had to like tape up my arm. I had to keep going. I still had the, the, all of these people's safety. But at that point I'm like, got the security to get everybody out of the audience uh, paramedics were getting called in. I had called my boss, who was a more superior trainer than me. Plus, the vet was coming with him, so we had a protocol set up for what if Dave gets attacked. So that was an action plan. But that that takes, you know, that's not that's not all going to happen in two minutes. Like I think it was forty minutes between when I got bit and when I was actually able to leave the enclosure. Um, so yeah, eventually it got worked out, and I got figured out and but back to my original point sorry <laughs> <laughs> that, lion, that lion was the nicest lion I've ever been in front of and I've been on in front of hundreds of lions since that lion I would have trust with my children right now I would say here go lie down not that I have ever t- having a child take a picture with a lion but I would I, like in my head I'm like oh he'd be fine I there's nothing that I didn't trust about that lion so the fact that he was willing to kill me ever since and I've been in front of A million bad situations I never forget that this animal could try and kill me I never forget that this is my life in my own hands and the people in my case oftentimes the film crews life in their hand my hand in my hands as well so uh, it is a great lesson to be had if you want to have a life like this
0: so you were 23 then you said you were two years 23 ish
1: Probably. I would say it happened in I don't have to do the math yeah, 24, because it was 1999 that it happened, and it's 2009. Yeah, I think it was – I must have been 24.
0: Wow. Did you think you were going to die in that moment? Oh,
1: totally.
0: Totally, yes. What was going I, through I, your mind?
1: I remember – so when I was first starting to be an animal trainer, I remember reading about all these stories about people getting attacked. Like Because I was being offered this job, hey, let's be a big cat trainer. But I'm like, wait a minute. As I read, because I was a scientist, I'm doing all my reading – everybody has a story of getting attacked. And i go to my boss. I'm like, well, do I really want to take this job? Like everyone gets attacked who does this job. And he's like, yeah, everyone does. And and, and so I remember in the moment as he has my forearm and he's about to get me, like I'm off balance. I'm trying to keep my feet. And I do remember the flash of, oh, I'm going to be one of those guys. I'm going to be that story. I'm going to be the story of the kid who takes the job of the lion trainer, loves, 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 and thinks that he's going to be the – top 10% who doesn't get hurt by one of these things, but I'm going to get killed by my own animal. I absolutely thought that. Uh, and it's terrifying. There, there's a certain level of terror to think about. I'm going to die. So roller coaster fear, I call it like, Oh, you, you, your car spins out in the winter or something and you have, and then there's another fear when you are living the moment where you're like, Oh, teeth are sinking in. You're being overpowered by a 550 pound beast. Um, and you're, and, you're, and you're watching it happen. I, 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 you know you're about to die and you have time to – you have a couple seconds to think about it. Uh, it's, it's probably the worst kind of fear. And then you have to add into that is you love this more than you love anything. This lion – it's like I have kids now. I would say it's close to, as close to your child killing you as possible. You take care of animals. Yeah. These things become part of the family, right? And you can imagine a family member trying to kill you because certainly at that age – I put all of their emotion in human terms, even though anthropomorphism is this awful term that they're all, every scientist are, uh, hate you and I who love animals are a little bit more sophisticated in our knowledge than a scientist who says, Oh, anthropomorph is terrible. Okay. You might not be able to prove it, but you and I know yeah. animals have feelings and, and because of that, you think they love you the way that you love them, but that's not true. You have to understand a male lion will kill his father very regularly yeah, or yeah. it's brother or it's mom. Like, so yes, it can have a family bond with you and it can have this, what we call love, but don't put it in human terms. I would never kill one of my parents. Whereas a male lion would happily do it and go to sleep in and, and 10 minutes later. Like that's just nature. And I think that that's a lesson that if you want to have a life like this, you have to learn it at an early age.
0: Yeah. I, Oh my God. I had no idea that you were like attacked that bad. I, wow. That's new news to me. I don't think, I think the only time my worst attack was from like a 12 foot Burmese Python and I was 13 and it, it fully attacked me and fully constricted me. And thank God I had my, yeah, like thank God I had my, my cousin there and I was 13 and I still have the snake. His name's Buddy. I love him to death. And my first thing is like, don't harm the snake. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, and yeah.
1: Now, did he, did your cousin know to start
0: at one end or another? Was he educated in it? Or did he just no. like tried his best to get him off you? She was not. And she was screaming. And for some reason, I was a little bit calm. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was so weird. It happened like... It happened so fast but then I just was so aware in the moment and I remember I remember just a few things so her first thing was like let's hurt the snake get a knife I'm like don't harm the snake you know don't harm the snake don't harm buddy it was my fault this or that so we tried um, so I read you could either do hot water alcohol or bend the tail backwards so we first tried bending their tail backwards well that didn't work <laughs> <So> <laughs> uh, but we did hot water and in about a minute it you know for the the water to heat up um, buddy ended up letting go i went to the emergency room to make sure i didn't have any teeth stuck in me and stuff like that but that was probably my closest scare but huh. nothing compared so the, the
1: thing to- that i tell people for big snakes and you probably know more than me because I, I know you handle them more than uh-huh. i do yeah and I've, I've had to do this once with a wild uh, Rock python. Oh
0: God, those are nasty, and,
1: and they yeah are mean. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I he mean. wrapped
1: a guy who tried to was you know. I always tell people snakes will leave you alone. I've had
0: mi- <laughs> millions of interactions
1: with mambas. Yeah. If you don't try and catch it, he was gonna leave you alone. But this guy decided to catch it because he wanted to show people, and I just happened to be in the group. Wrapped him, and I remember a snake friend of mine had said, "You can't overpower a snake because their muscles are too short, unless you start on an end, grab a tail, grab the head, and you start to unravel from that bit." Uh huh. So. I grabbed a stick, put the head on, like, basically attached the two, and then walked it around and walked it around and walked it around and eventually got got the guy out. So that's sort of my – what I tell people is, like, if you ever get wrapped, that's the one thing to try. Because I agree with you. Like, there is a lot of animal myths out there as to what to do. Oh, God, yeah. And then you get in that situation (laughs) – And you're like, wait, this doesn't work. Yeah, I was like, bend the tail, bend the tail.
0: And I was like, it's so, not working.
1: Oh. <laughs> so similarly, in this lion attack, after I had my forearm all torn out, I was like, okay, everybody says carbon dioxide fire extinguisher. We had it as part of our safety protocol. It was sitting there off stage. I grabbed it. And I will never forget this for the rest of my life. I spray it. And I'm like, go, go away, you bad lion. And I'm like spray it. And my arm's all messed up. And the cloud of carbon dioxide white smoke fills the stage. And I can't even see the line in front of me anymore. So then I stop. And all I see is, (sighs) and he coughed out this carbon dioxide and then and then the black tail. All you see is the black tail. And then you see the black mane as the carbon monoxide settling. And in my head, I'm like, you jerks. This stupid carbon dioxide thing doesn't work at all. So, uh, there, I mean, I, I, think, I, I think in hindsight, yes, it could work in a different situation, but it didn't work at that point. Oh, but, but the job that we have, we have to believe in the security and you have to take advice. It's one of the only jobs in the world where if you don't know how to take advice, you're going to get killed. Yeah. So you have to be able to accept advice and say, that's great. Thank you very much. And I'm going to actually put in practice learning through your own you know, mistakes Sometimes it doesn't work because you don't get two chances in, in an animal world. So anyway.
0: Yeah, I also think it takes a person too, like you, it's a talent to when you are injured, like let's say on camera or in front of an audience and the show must go on like that. I mean, that's a talent and a lot of people don't realize that.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> that you have to be born a certain way. So if I fast forward then into the wildlife part of my so my So my, my captive world – kind of morphed away. I only really was a professional animal trainer for about 2 years, 2 years and a little bit. And then got into conservation and was training animals to go wild and so that, that's a whole process and I can tell you that that yeah, path if you're interested. But eventually I got into this point where people who know me from my animal planet specials, you know, living with lions for 6 months or, you know, hanging out with elephants or and The thing that you have to be born to do, you can tell somebody, okay, if you're surrounded by a herd of, you know, breeding herd of elephants and they're threatening you and they're going to squish you, here are the things you have to do to communicate with that animal, to build its trust so it allows you to leave and doesn't squish you. But to a degree, you have to, your body has to function in that heightened sense. Mm -hmm. When, when you're, everything in your body is saying, you better effing run. <laughs> yeah, you, and, can you and your brain takes over. As you said, you were calm when you were getting attacked by that snake. Yeah. If you don't have that type of brain that says, I know what my safety protocol is. I'm going to action that plan. I'm going to use my animal abilities, sense and react, and try to heck to get me and my crew out of here. And I can tell you 15 different stories when I used it with 15 different species. But the fact of the matter is, there are people who run, and there are people who don't. And if you are designed to take seven steps backwards first, then stop yourself, then think, then calm down, you've taken your seven steps. The elephant, the lion, the buffalo, the whatever has already decided he's going to squish you now, yeah. and you're
0: I mean you're a lot braver than me though dude like I almost I was charged by a hippo once I almost crapped my pants it was awful so I like pants <laughs> <laughs> but like, you still I, have to focus like uh, I love I'm how he,
1: I'm not scared I love, I'm just I'm just not gonna die
0: like I love <laughs> yeah, I don't know so hold on Dave so let's just go back really quick so you worked with Bongo I have to ask you because I'm a huge fan of Ghost in the Darkness it was like one of the first rated R movies I ever saw when I was a kid and, nice yeah right i loved it and i've i've i would love to go to savo someday and of course you know ghost of darkness is about the man eating lions but what was that like on set like i mean just what was
1: it i high? started with him months after he had gotten back so they had already filmed it so i didn't work with that particular set okay. i worked with the animals but okay. they had come back from africa okay after so i wasn't there
0: okay so so but they actually filmed in africa they filmed in south africa they did yes. uh, so
1: oddly so this is the one thing that, I mean, I have a lot of th- thoughts and theories. I mean, we, we work in this world now where wow. everybody has input via social media as to what should and shouldn't be with animals. And, I, I, you know, there is a huge contingencies of the world that thinks that every single lion in a cage should be let out and mm-hmm. gone. Those lions, you know, I mean, they're really well-kept lions for sure, but those lions were let go. Like we had, There's lots of scenes where they got to run through the African savannah and it was a wild area. If they wanted to go off, they did. They loved their enclosure. They slept in their enclosure. They had the option to sleep out every night. And they, would... I liken it to those of us born in a city. You're born in a city. You have a home. You like your car. You like your bed. You like your duvet. Uh, if someone says, hey, now go, go build a nest in a tree in Africa, because that's what you've evolved to do, we <laughs> would be like, oh, I don't want that. I really like my duvet. Now, I'm not saying perfect world, perfect world. Maybe I am on the side of people that would love there to be an animal world where they're all free and happy and, and wild. And then there's this human world where we have zero impact on the planet. Uh, that's not the world I live in. That's not even the world I can I can work in. So uh, there, there, there's a different, I, I don't have the luxury to feel that way. So that's my caveat. To, that was my proof at one day where I was like, would all of these animals, because I was obviously at a young time in my life where I wondered, I mean, would all these animals rather just be let go in a forest somewhere, and and when I when I you know saw the footage of all this, I'm like, oh, I see these lions. They, they want to come home.
0: Yeah, and here's the deal. I'm really happy you touched on that because there is a lot of people who don't like what we do, or they don't like zoos, what? or this and that. But that's a great thing because there are what, David? You would know this. What what fewer than like twenty thousand lions wild left left in in Africa?
1: They're I one mean, of the fastest decreasing species in the world, uh, and I think it's much less. I think it's closer to eleven thousand right now. Are you
0: serious? Well, it's going
1: down fast. Crap. Going down fast. So we're in a situation now, mind you. Lions are lucky because there are few uh, ecological models that are working right now. You know, you look what's happening in Brazil right now, where we're let—they're burning the rainforest on purpose, really. Mm-hmm. And the president of Brazil is like, screw you. My guys need to eat. And I don't really care about animals. I don't care about your breathing air. My guys want to farm. I'm going to let them farm. Mm-hmm. Africa is one of the only places where they've been like, okay, ecotourism is working. It's creating jobs. It's creating wealth. The locals have, have decided that the best thing for us is this ecotourism where we know we need leopards and lions and cheetahs and elephants. and So – Yes, it's rapidly decreasing, and there's major problems. I am not minimizing the problem of, of a wild lion. But I do find uh, it is important for us, voices for animals, to remind people that there are some solutions, and that is one of them. So if you decide ever to go on safari by going, you are doing your part. You know, If nothing else, you're creating all of those jobs, creating all that wealth, and you are paying the rent for those animals that you love to take pictures of. So yes, lions, are there's a major problem, and we need to find – ways to stop the the land use issues that are causing conflict with lions but uh, there are some wins out there as well for the lion
0: yeah and i grew up thinking and i think a lot of people do, and people still think this like africa is full of lions and they're just everywhere and i mean but when you actually go there in person i've i've been have the privilege of gone several times they're not and it's like yeah. the habitat shrinking and it's just like they're not everywhere it's just yeah it's, it is really startling actually
1: yeah people are shocked when i tell them that the wild is a fence So they're
0: like, oh, that's not wild.
1: That's a zoo. It's just a big zoo. I'm like, well, if you don't fence it in and protect it, you know, you talk about white rhino. It's a great example of an animal that's about to get wiped off the planet right now. Oh, even black rhino rhino in general. Mm. If you can't fence them in and protect them, you know, let's, let's build a fence. Let's remove the people. Let's mitigate the the, the impact right here. We need these guys to breed. We need them to eat and breed Mm. and I'm going to provide this safe space. And without that fence, It's just impossible to keep them in a safe place. It's impossible to keep the people from impacting that safe place. Uh, So it might be sad. We might wish it wasn't true, but until there's a better solution right now, the best solution for a lot of wild African animals is to put up a game fence and try to manage that wild space as best we can, giving them as wild a a life as we can and reducing our impact. So another you know, stone in the face of that is people very often say, oh, well, all the driving around them is you know, really them." No, well, that's not really a wild animal because we're driving our, our Land Rovers close to them. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You know, you've taught these animals to accept these things and that's not what we picture as wild. But it's a happy trade-off for the lions to have to maybe cross a road that we've made or a dirt track uh, or, or have grown up around these vehicles and realize that they're not going to hurt them. Because the other trade-off is, well, then that, that's going to be a farmland because people need to eat, uh, and then they're not going to be there at all. So uh, I, I think that you and I are in a situation where we have to uh, mitigate what people, what we as conservationists want the world to be, and that is happy spaces for animals in the wild, I think. I think we all can agree that the wilder the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but those spaces have are more and more now – we, are, we have to manage those spaces. And that management requires some thought. That management requires some compromise. You know, every time someone says, well, how, how dare you speak to those people, the hunters? I'm like, okay, well, we have to realize that hunters are – it's a, it's a land-use system. Now, how do we manage hunters, educate hunters in a way that they can, you know, do with a hobby that they like that doesn't impact the wild in general. So let's take, you know, white-tailed deer. Well, we've killed out. We in North America have killed out all the big predators. Wow. Well, nobody. None of these farmers want any predators back. It's a big voting issue. The vote against predators is always way bigger than the vote for. You know, us conservationists don't have as loud right. a voice. So what we then do is say, okay, hunters, you come in and we're going to give you a deer tag, and if you follow our rules. There will always be, you know, a few deer for you to hunt, and you eat them, and you do your land use situation, and you will take the place of the, place of the mass uh, predator. Now, I don't. I wish that wasn't true. I wish these deer didn't have to live their life in fear of a guy in an orange vest popping them in the head with a gun. That's awful. It sounds mm-hmm. terrible, mm-hmm. but it's the world we live in. And I think that, you know, when you have a voice in conservation, I think our the next state, phase of conservation is for us to get everybody's head outside of. The ideal space that we wish the world was, and start working within the space that the world is, so that we can not only stopgap the problems like lions getting wiped out, like rhinos getting wiped out, like tigers getting wiped out, uh, we can start to build back. You know, yeah. if hunters want to hunt, like so, Ducks Unlimited is a great example of a, gr- a group of hunters mm. who have realized. Well, they, I think they are the number one group in the world for setting aside land for wildlife yeah that's a that's a win for us sure they go up and shoot them but like okay i don't love that but i don't get the same see
0: i'm so i live in idaho and i live on the snake river i'm an hour outside of boise so i live in farm country-ish i mean people hunt and i honestly have been struggling with it because we live on the river i mean literally on the river and we have hunters and it is like i'm just so torn because it's like it, it, it's the most unlike when I go out with my cup of coffee and I'm just looking at the river, I'm trying to spot a resident bald Eagle. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, 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 bam. it's just like, uh. it's the most. And I'm just, and it just really bothers me. Or, and I, and I know it's only for a certain season and I'm, I understand they donate for conservation. I understand we live in the country. I understand we have, I mean, we have so many, you know, river coots and ducks and like, I, yep, yep. I get it, but I'm struggling now to where I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't and honestly right before we got on it is snowing which is a popular time to hunt I was thinking oh great I really hope someone doesn't set a duck blind across the river from our home during yeah. our during our interview so well, don't misconstrue what I was saying into liking it so oh no, yes and no and I'm you're, not, in, I'm in
1: not. your position you're you're in a similar position to me you have this yeah. podcast you're out on tv mm-hmm. the voice that we have to come with So I'm all about amalgamating as many voices as we can because that's the only way we're going to get anything done. So so that opinion is based on, hey, let's put this out there. You will never – animals are an ethical and moral issue. You will never even have two animal people sit next to each other and meet exactly the same way across the board of what should be done with wildlife. You have to realize, personally anyway – that everybody's going to do things differently their own way, their own, like every hunter will tell you they're an animal lover. And I, I don't I understand know. that. I don't get that at all, <laughs> I but I know. have to accept that it yes. exists. So yes. he can't tell me what to do and I can't tell him what to do. A great example is even though I feel this way about white tailed deer, I have a this cabin. I keep talking to you about up North. Uh, there's some crown land behind my place where I hike every day with my kids, my dogs there. I see white tailed deer, moose, Oh man. Wolves, elk, it's all there. So on Crown Land in Canada, you can put you can bait bears, you can put salt licks to get the white-tailed deer in, you can put a duck blind in, but I can also take it all down. (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately for all the hunters, they don't have any bush skills at all. I track all of my neighbors. They, my one neighbor moved because, and he told me he sold his place. I go, why'd you sell the place? He goes every time I set up my salt licks, somebody throws them in the river. And I go, oh yeah, that's funny. I am better in the bush than there. There are times I am within a hundred meters in the bush, quietly behind a tree, watching my neighbors set up their hunting stuff, and I just take it all down. Because yeah. I can't. It's legal. So there they go. So uh, as much as I understand as a voice of somebody who's trying to get the world together in conservation, I have to – the more that there are completely left-wing groups, and I won't even use their names because yeah. they're yeah. left-wing crazies. And as much as there are right-wing crazies, all of us saying we're in for the ethical treatment in animals. We love our animals. In le- But, but we fight amongst each other. You know, every yeah. time I go on a show and I say, ah, you know, I generalize. Let's say, hey, Dave, are all black bears black? Yeah, generally, they're all black. And then I get yelled at every time. Oh, there's cinnamon bears. There's white bears. There's spirit bears. I'm like, my God. Why are we fighting? So my point is, in the position that we have, the more of us who are supposed to be the educated voices in this fight for conservation, the more we can all speak from the same voice, even though our opinions differ a little bit the more the uneducated who are saying, I like animals, I just don't know enough about it. If we all spoke from the same voice, they would then know the path. So if if some groups are saying, don't go to the zoo, some groups are saying, go to the zoo, how the hell do we ever get together and start identifying the people who are actually abusing animals? I think we can all say animal abuse sucks, right? Yeah. But if if, if the left wing say, all captive animals are abused just because they're in captive. Then those of us who actually know of a guy who goes over and beats the crap out of his animals every day, and we're like, man, this guy needs his license taken away. Let's all get together and, 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 and make a law that says this guy can't do this anymore. It's impossible for us to do that because none of us speak with the same voice. We all use the same words. So if this group says this is abuse and then and, you know just by training an animal, it's abusive, or I say abuse is not feeding, not taking to the vet and hitting, you know, it's it's impossible for us to have the clout that we need to have or to to action the change that we want to action because we're all fighting amongst each other so the so the rest of the world is like I don't know who to believe, you know, whatever figure it out guys.
0: So, yeah, yeah, and I, I I completely agree and I and I tried to see and with this podcast one of our highest rated episodes we had a we had a wolf hunter on the show or someone who hunts you know for the wolf hunting and then we had a wolf conservationist and it was our highest rate because people just that's like such a hot topic here and you know we we, we try to look at the facts as scientists and yeah it's just you know back onto hunting like i understand like if you're eating the animal like a deer like they're overpopulated i get it we wiped out the predators you're you're feeding your family i get it i don't personally hunt you know what i mean i don't know i'm just yep. like and i mean I, yeah I, I don't know like what's the difference like i also eat meat like are you a vegetarian
1: no i've tried i desperately wanted I to be oh I but tried it doesn't work for me i get long? sick really you do yeah, I, I just have no energy. I can't sleep. I, I, yeah, I dry, I tried to be vegan when I was very young. It okay. didn't work out for health reasons. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just like fish and eggs. Uh-huh. And that didn't work out. So yes, I know, and I'm a predator expert. I kind of understand that a little bit. I try to be ethical in the way that I purchase my meat. I try to be ethical in, in, in everything I can. I, I do as much as I can in this world. I also have a family. I also have... Three other people in my family that have maybe different different opinions of me. So yes, I have my own opinions on all of these things. I have some things that I'm happy to stand up against. So like, if if you're there and we're like going to debate a trophy hunter, well, that oh. person I can absolutely say you are wrong. You are immoral, unethical. And the more you time you call yourself an animal lover, the more I want to reach across there and get my hands on you because I think it's it's ridiculous. So. I don't put all hunters in the same boat. I think that there are different ways of doing things. Um, But I go back to the original thing is I've been on television in the forefront of the world's eye in conservation for 20 years. And with that, I've just realized that nobody agrees. Like even those of us who are all on the same side, we can agree on most of it, but never all of it because we're talking about morals and ethics and It's tough to debate morals and ethics because most of that's based on how you feel. So professionally anyway, outwardly, outside of my own dinner party. My own dinner party, you might hear different opinions as I, you know, allow some of my own personality into that. But as a professional, I feel like I have to start – I have to voice my opinions in a way that people can digest and then action their own plans. I feel like most of the world – uh, really want to do good things for animals, so it's our job to tell them what those good things are without putting our own personal spin on it, our own ethics and morals.
0: Yeah, Theory. yeah. And uh, another one of our highest-rated episodes, Dave, was trophy hunting. And we, uh, you, I, you know, I'm going to send you the link because we look. I did a roundtable discussion with the All Creatures podcast. So all three scientists, we, we, we looked at like data, and we looked to see like, is it actually helping for conservation? I'm going to send you the link, but. I just think it's ridiculous, and we, th- we like tried to we tried to do this from an outside. Like, okay, could we kind of see the side? Like, could we, could we see the side of a trophy hunter? And I just couldn't. I think it's no. immoral. I don't, yeah.
1: No, you can't call yourself an animal. You can say, I hate animals, and I like to get trophy hunts. Then at least I respect you to the degree of you're an honest human being. But you're completely dishonest if you say, I love this animal. But you want to see the ultimate crazy? CNN did a documentary called Trophy. I think it's just called trophy and it, and, and they had trophy hunters who let them, you know, follow the hunt and do the, like it's the most graphic thing. You'll never forget it. I couldn't watch the whole thing mm. through. You'll break down into tears yeah. a couple of times, but you really get into the side of the they're, they're crazy. There's a guy who just kills a lion. He's standing over and he talked how proud his father would be for shooting a lion off the back of a truck. I'm like, if that's what your dad is proud of, you sh- you and your dad should, you know, Whatever, I have some things to
0: say. Go ahead, Uh, both die.
1: They sit, sit, there's another moment where this hunter's standing over this elephant and you can hear it taking its last breath on camera. And he was talking about the pride he had in himself and how, I'm like, you're, you're, I just think those people are crazy. They're, they they have screws loose. If you can be proud of sneaking around with a high-powered rifle, you think you're big and – I don't know if it's a big and tough thing. I, I don't get it, so I don't know what the what the pride is. But if you think you're a hunter, like, I you dare you. Dave, it would be there. a lot easier. It would
0: be easier to stuck a sock down there, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> then, you know what I mean? I, I, I haven't I have yeah. So
1: I guess my point is, once I saw uh, – saw that documentary, I started to realize there's no intellect. There's no discussion. It's not a debate with those people. The extreme crazy where they say, I'm an animal lover. I love this animal. Look how much respect I have for it as I kill it. And then watching the rest of the psychosis, it's just crazy. Whereas you could probably debate a subsistence hunter, you know, who goes out, picks his one deer or moose a year, eats it with his family, says, I prefer to do that because you know, rather than go to the grocery store and buy my cow, I want to see the animal. I want to respect the animal. That I'm like, okay, I get all that. I just don't like it. I've yeah. even had to do it. I've been stuck in the bush by myself with nothing to eat and had to kill something to eat it. Really? I didn't like it. What was Oh, it? Yeah. oh
0: my god! I,
1: and I was. It's a heartbreaking thing to do to be an animal lover, but no, you got to eat. You're. I'm dead, or I go and you know do this. Oh my god! So I. So it's not fair for a hunter to say, oh, you don't know, you're eating your cow. You don't have to face it. No, I faced it. I've been there. I don't like it. So I, I know when I'm purchasing my food, you know, I know that I'm paying for the ability to not have to f- face the actual act. It's about respecting it, I suppose. I don't know. I, 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 so I can have that debate and that discussion. Whereas you get, as, as you get to a point where you're talking to a trophy hunter, I just think they should all. I would love to, like, be able to say, OK, every time you go for a trophy hunt, you put the gun down and you just get out in the bush. And you go face to face with one of those lions or one of those elephants, and
0: you know, anyway, dark. So, okay, I, I have to ask you this: If they were numerous, let's say elephants and lions, or populations were just like they were stable. They were, you know, overpopulated. Would you agree with it then? So
1: that's a great point. So there's a lot of places, even now, where there's culls. Right? Elephant culls have to happen in a lot of places to save the ecosystem because elephants are so damaging especially because we have fences in these places places like the Kruger Park you know where we're like we can all agree is a wonderful place that's mm. a safe haven for animals but they they get their, they have to manage their numbers and certain and nothing's going to predate on an elephant. So a great example if I know a cull has to happen where a guy who's an area biologist has to put bullets in his gun and go off and oh do what he has to do Would I accept that, Okay, instead of forcing this poor scientist who probably loves these animals to do this, to let somebody who enjoys it? Morally and ethically, as a scientist and as a conservationist, I can say, okay, fine, go charge him $30,000 and hopefully something good can come of that money. You know, promote some research on birth control of elephants or whatever it is. I still hate it. I still the, the person who smiles doing that. I still want to punch in the face. But I would be able to sit in my home and say, fine, I don't care. If you're telling me you have to do this to save that ecosystem, and that's part of the wildlife management system, I don't have a voice in it, I don't have to like the person to understand that it has to happen. Uh, So – I I guess I would feel better about that. Yes, I feel way better than what – I mean, you say you've been to Africa. Like, if you go to Botswana and see the size of a male lion there, you'll never see one even close to 500 pounds. Whereas a male lion, traditionally, up until the last 10 years, a small one is 500 pounds. Whereas now, because of trophy hunting – I remember being there, and the the guide had been there for twenty something years. Oh my God, look how big that lion is! Oh my God, There's like a four hundred and eighty pound lion, forty something pound lion. It's it would be anemic in, yeah. in in previous years, and yet that's the that's the one that people are talking about. Like it's you know a five and a half meter gray white shark. It's like holy God. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah. can talk all day about this kind of stuff. It's dark and depressing, but um, it yeah, is. it's I don't I I don't know that there. You and I aren't going to solve that issue. But certainly, I think that certainly on the trophy side, those people need to stop hiding behind our umbrella. Do not call yourself a conservationist. Do not try and stand on my side of the fence.
0: Yeah, I, I like what you said. Yeah, I, I'll send you the link. What we found out, as the research has said, which it, this is like an obvious thing, it's a no-brainer that trophy hunting does not increase like a population's number. Like that's that's what we found. We know
1: we, we know that. So it's about it's about talking about land use systems, yeah, right? Yeah. So. Absolutely is a land use system better than poverty, right? If there is no, no money coming into an area, trophy hunting is one step better than that. But if you say it's, a, it's the best conservational thing that we can do for these land use areas, well, then that's wrong. That's, you know, what it is, it's a lack of understanding. These people recite these things. Well, I spend this much money, and this money you know, goes to this person who has no jobs and creates that job. Well, it's a limited job, right? You get it, it gives them a job for a couple of weeks, and of all the land-use systems it is, it's the worst one except for nothing. It's the closest to nothing that we have as far as a conservational land-use system. In fact, farming in some cases is better than trophy hunting for conservation in some of those areas that they're talking about because at least in farming, those farmers don't have the high-powered rifles to kill some of those big, big animals, and those animals can find ways to subside. So anyway, it's yeah. – it's,
0: it's all right. They should
1: – Well they should all go away.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I and I'm so happy you're, you know, just a a voice and I feel like, you know, we just need to get out there. And you know, that is one one thing that's good about social media though, Dave, don't you agree, is like people are passionate about it, you know, regarding
1: I would say yes. Yeah, so my problem with social media only is The people who believe our voice are the ones that follow us. So we're kind of preaching to the choir at that point. I feel like most social media directs you to people who agree with you. So like the people that hate me because I'm, you know, how dare you bring an animal on TV? Like somehow the animal doesn't like it to like to be there. Mm -hmm. Like somehow I don't know how to take care of an animal. When I see an animal playing and laughing and getting treats and have a good time, you know, as well as I do, that can happen in the backyard or it can happen on a studio. Animals love new things. They love treats. They love you know the ones that we bring on these types of shows. Love people. Love the attention. Look, they love that day. It's a day out. Yeah. We know that. Why would we lie to anybody? We're the ones that have dedicated our lives to these animals. So some of the, so, so the people that accuse us of like oh, how dare you do this entertainment like I see that every time I'm on TV is I'll get you know a hundred messages about oh, how dare you how dare you I'm like well if. If those people I could then engage with and say, look I would love to let's 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 back and forth. Let's back and forth where I'm gonna be like, hey, there's, here's all of the things that we do. And there is hundreds of things that we do to make sure these animals are having a great time that day. Yes. And if one of <laughs> to not have a great day, here's all the things we can do to change it. Like, if that was a debatable thing or if that was a message we could get across to the people who already hate you, where it would be taken in and go, oh man, that's great. I did. I had no idea you took that good a care of those animals. I've changed my mind. I'm really happy you guys are doing this because in the end, you're reaching your conservation message is reaching more people, which is why you and I do these things. Yeah. Social media doesn't allow for that because that's not the personality of, of of the of the medium anymore. It is literally just a outward. It's an output, not an input. There, I would say 98% of the people who will message you, they either hate you already and they don't want to hear from you, or they love you already and you great. But I wish there was some system where, you know, long form like this one, where like, if we decided to do a podcast, you and I were like, Hey, we'd like to address the people who don't like this particular subject about what we happen to do. Well, you have an hour or two hours or however long it takes to really go into the details, the finer minutia Mm -hmm. of what we do to make sure that these animals are well taken care of, enjoy the day and the reasoning behind what we do. Oh well, we we want to get to an audience that we can convince that conservation is important. We we believe that through exposing people to these beautiful animals and teaching people how amazing they are, they then become interested in conservation because they realize how awesome the, the species are. That's the point. And if you had the if you had a, a medium that would allow that discussion, where in the end of it, a reasonable person would be like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. You know, Corbin and Dave. They aren't just, you know, bunch of jerks counting their their dollar bills out. There's after no dollar bills here, Dave. <laughs> you spend more money than you make. It's, you I do know. it because you believe in it.
0: Yeah, and I and, and I'll tell you what, because a lot of people don't do these shows, they'll never know what goes on behind the scenes because they just they just don't do it. It's very limited, but if people knew the amount of just the planning, the 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 permits, the, the license, the handlers, the animals that we are using, like, it's not as easy as like, oh, we'll just, you know, pick this animal I mean, for instance, we did a cheetah on the Today Show, and it was like we had booked share on the Today Show, like this cheetah had its dressing room, it had its handlers, yeah, it had its, like, security team, it had its this and that and, you know, you watch that segment with the cheetah and its companion puppy, and it's sitting there eating meatballs for treats, and it's completely fine but it's like it wasn't just like oh great let's bring a cheetah okay now action go it took months to plan this and people don't yeah, realize that and and also yeah. sorry on the tangent but we don't make the animals do anything they don't want to do so if that cheetah did not want to come out of a crater that you know was acting up it wasn't going to happen it wasn't you know that's just so well uh, it's it's so
1: we you know i can't speak for you but i i and i'm assuming you because i work with the same shows that you do yeah spend a lot of time Making sure that there is standards and practices in place, making sure that there is vetting of the animal wranglers just because the cheetah comes out and is well taken care of. Let's make sure we look into that wrangler and make sure that, you know, there's not some snake in a hole that he like <laughs> we we try our best. And, and, and it's a caveat. Like I mean, people have been caught out in these things of making sure that we are so moral and ethical because we are the forefront of this. We are the leaders in this that everyone behind us has to meet the standard. You can't just show up with a bunch of animals and have a producer overlook. I don't know where these animals come from, but Hey, come on my show. You know, I didn't see anything bad that day. So he must be a good guy. That's not the world we live in. We live in a world where people are vetted, looked into. We live in a world where, you know, if the show Wants to use loud percussive music, we have a voice. It says, Stop. Mm -hmm. This animal is fine for percussion. This animal is not. Like, uh, rehearsal, let's say. Oh, you know what? These three animals are going to need a rehearsal. uh, Or, hey, no applause for these animals. Like, I mean, all stuff that you do on a daily basis. You walk in and say, All of the things I'm just saying. But what that that does is it creates a standards and practices so that every time any animal, you know, whether, you know, that follow us, the producers are going to be asking for that, and if the and if the animal wrangler doesn't seem to meet the same standard of ethical care that we do, uh, they're not going to have that job anymore. Yeah, because the producers can be like, "Hey, we're 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 at risk here. We don't we don't want to be seen to be supporting any negative anything in this world. We're trying to get the message out there, not not be a, a beacon for awful people." Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important in that way. But once again, I guess the reason we got into this discussion was that we're we're not really allowed to have that discussion on social media just because it would be flooded by attack
0: well I, I i'm going to be honest with you so i got my start when i was 14 on the tonight show at jay leno they found me through a talent at scout 14. Audit at 14 and i had all these you know run- years was
1: that was i on the show at that point i don't know what old you are now oh
0: i hated you back in the day it was like can i get uh, on steve yeah. no, no 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 i'm kidding no i know you were great you were experienced you're great that was in 2004 were you were you appearing then
1: for uh, yeah just, just just i did my first talk show I, oddly my first one was on Letterman
0: really? the only time I ever did
1: it and then immediately went uh, Tonight Show and then did Jay's show for years
0: yeah and you, you were Jay's last guest and you and I both so the person who discovered me uh, Steve Ridgeway you know Steve right oh yeah,
1: yeah I still I still talk to Steve Steve and I go to hockey games together
0: yeah and like drinks and stuff yeah I, I Steve is the one who discovered me they were searching oh, totally. for teenagers with weird or unusual talents and my mom wrote in for me because I never thought I'd be on TV I just loved talking and I had all these rescued reptiles I had like 60 in my parents bonus room alligators, pythons, boas, whatever so I got my start at 14 I was like and I was on with Pamela Anderson so I was like 14 in high school and I was like oh wow this is really cool and I was like wow this is what I want to do so I got my start with reptiles I I was on a tonight show several times after that with reptiles but I had to transition to mammals and birds and I'll be honest I was terrified when I first did worked with baby tiger cubs yeah because not not the animals but because of the social media and I got booked on later oh, yeah. And I got booked on late night with Seth Meyers, which was a dream booking. And we had three, you know, baby, I think, I think three month old tiger cubs. I remember even watching some of your clips on how you, you know, did it. Cause you're such an expert. And I was like, terrified. Cause I was like, God, is this going to be crazy backlash? And it, you know, has Jay
1: so. ever shown you his tiger bite? No. He has okay. a tiger. I, so as I say, I've got a bus soon. I'm going to tell you the story. You know, what we could do is just, if you've got time tomorrow, or the next day, we can just do a B. I, I'll let's make time for you yeah, tomorrow or the next it. day so we can finish our conversation. Yeah. Because I do have to go. I apologize that there's no a hard out. Yeah. I just got back into town. Yeah. But I'll tell you this J, this J story. So you're, you're talking about being terrified and having these kids. So one of the first times I'm on Leno, so you know as well as I do, the first time you meet a, a host, you just don't know them. You don't know if they're good with animals, bad with animals, if they're going to be scared, not scared. They all have different personalities, and you as the wrangler, you start at a point of how do I make sure the animals are happy and safe? How do I make the host happy and safe so I can get rebooked? And then how do I get my message out? So I go out there. I've got a lion and a tiger or two lions. lion and tiger, I think, and Jay – You know, Jay was crazy about the big cats. The only time Jay would ever, like after a while, after Jay and I got to know each other and did a thousand of these things, Jay would only come down when I had cats. In fact, sometimes if I knew a wrangler had cats but a cat hadn't been booked, I would ask the wrangler, hey, bring your cub. It's because Jay's going to want to play with it. So Jay would come down, take the cut, line up. But this is before I knew any of this. Jay, I think it's my first time on, a lion and a tiger. So Steve, as you are saying, Steve's like, so Dave, I want you to walk out with the lion. And then when Jay's done with the lion, he, I want you to go and get the tiger. I'm like, oh, no, I can't leave a lion with the host where I'm going to walk 30 feet away. Like, the lion's going to rip yeah. him to pieces. <laughs> no, no, you do it. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't know, Jay. I, 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 a, a six-month-old cub can tear you some serious holes. And I, I'm not going to be the guy that gets Jay Leno all torn up. So it's Steve's like ah yeah yeah whatever he's be very kind to me and ten minutes later because it's one of my first ones Jay actually comes down hey you're gonna we're gonna have a great show <laughs> <laughs> you know I really appreciate oh, you coming really nice guy love him to death he's such a kind human being and he's a diehard animal guy but he's you know giving me the pep talk and I say Jay like they want me to leave you with a lion cub and it could tear you to pieces he goes don't worry <laughs> early on in my career I got bit by a tiger and I'm like. Oh man, I've heard everybody's "I got bit by a tiger" story, yeah. and usually it's like it's not even not even a lick. Yeah. Jay pulls up his pant leg. He says there's a 14 month old tiger. He's on the show. Uh, he's got a guest with a, with a with a tiger. I don't know who the guy was. He didn't mention the wrangler's name. Yeah. Standing there, and the tiger grabbed his leg and bit into his calf, and he has a scar, eight inches long and an inch thick. On his calf right now. He shows it to me and I'm like, he's like, man, it's my own fault. I did this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, this this guy's not going to do that. You're not going to get a 14 month old tiger. So if, if you're okay with that, then fine here. You know, I'll leave you the lion. And then I got to realize that Jay has, Jay is an animal guy. Jay has that ability. You could, you could take the most worked up, nervous cat. You put it in Jay's arm, the cat will fall asleep. So like, yeah. he, he, eventually I realized, well, but uh,
0: that's amazing so dave listen i know you have to go can we do a part two because i want to dive more we barely touched into it and i dude, thank you so much i just had my pleasure it's been nice talking to you